0: There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action is Pamela Slim. Pamela is a speaker, author, small business strategist and founder of the Main Street Learning Lab at Kuh. Family, we're excited to have you here.
1: I am super happy to be here.
2: So you and Centauri know each other from? We did. Um, the Cohoots Foundation did this really cool thing where we brought together leaders in the entrepreneurship space to have this kind of town hall on what is going on in the community for underserved minority underserved uh, and underrepresented entrepreneurs so we just brought in um, people from all over different organizations to have a conversation and then um, kind of figure out what the next steps are in providing opportunities for those folks and so Pam was one of the people I think we sat at the same table and then we yeah. hit it off and then um, it's been great so I came maybe a month ago to tour the space that we're in today and then we had lunch and we just talked about things that are going on in the valley and so she's been Uh, Phenomenal resource and it's been great getting to know you.
1: Likewise.
2: Excellent. So people who are listening are probably thinking, what did George
0: just say there? Because I don't think that I said Kuh very confidently. It's
1: okay. I know. (laughs) And so my, my husband is Diné, which is Navajo is, is kind of the, within his own language, it's called the Diné people. Navajo is often how we understand them. As my mother-in-law would say, the largest tribe in the United States, <laughs> with the most ceremonies. She was always very proud of that. Very nice. <laughs> um, And so when we named this space, it's called Kath, which is a Dine word for system of kinship and community. The best way to describe it is that whenever I watch my husband meet somebody new from his tribe, they introduce themselves by clan. And there's a maternal clan and paternal clan, And once they understand how they are related, that moment Hmm. when they understand the relation is the feeling of ke. Hmm. So it's that connection. It's the understanding that we're all related. So that's uh, really the spirit of what it is that we wanted to create when we came here is a space, um, you know, we can go into a little of the origin story behind it, but it really was... A space where people can walk in from the moment they walk in, they feel welcome, they feel they belong, and when my husband and I look at the work that we want to do in the world, everything about, he's a wellness, uh, traditional healer, he does a lot of ceremony, I do business consulting, <laughs> but you know, within that, actually the base is really the same, mm-hmm. of helping people to feel connected to themselves, helping people to feel connected to each other, and so that's what the word means.
0: Excellent. So tell us a little bit about your career path, how you found yourself here.
1: Man, how much time you got. Well, the, <laughs> what's funny um, is in almost kind of working backwards, I in, in college, I was an international service and development major and lived in Latin America, in Mexico and Colombia and Brazil, and did the Afro-Brazilian capoeira, which is a, a martial art um, in Brazil. And so Young in my life I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'll be you know living abroad and doing economic development work. And when I actually got on the ground in Bogota, which is where I was doing a project in Colombia, I just had that moment of like what am I doing here? 19 year old <laughs> little white girl from Marin County, California, like pretending to know something about how to create economic development in what they call the Barrio de Ambacion, which is like an area of the city where people kind of come to the edge of the city. There are no services there, there's huge challenge. And it was just that moment of like, this makes no sense to think that just because I am from the US and I'm college educated, that I know the first thing about what's happening for people here. My heart and soul has always been drawn to uh, making a positive difference, There's something about really the value of understanding the feeling that you have when you are economically um, safe and free and you know that that's taken care of that I think universally is what we all want for our families. So when I realized that I didn't want that for my path, I went on this whole journey, first in nonprofit at the um, Community Foundation. I worked at the Exploratorium, Art and Science Museum in the Bay Area. And then I got into corporate training and development which I actually loved because it was really also focused on professional development. So the first 10 years of my consulting business, I quit my job in 1996, and I spent 10 years consulting inside companies um, on the human side of business. And then in 2005, I had had so many conversations with people who were in corporate who wanted to leave, like I did, that I started the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog in 2005. And that was four people... Who wanted to start, you know, leave their corporate job to start a business. And that just opened up this huge, I call it a magical mystery tour of like the world of Narnia, which is entrepreneurship. And I've spent about 13 years doing early stage startup, helping thousands of companies start. And then two years ago, we opened up here in downtown Mesa, the Main Street Learning Lab, um, really with the intention of coming, kind of coming back to our roots of looking at what is it that we can do in our own community, and especially as parents of native kids who are usually exceptionally underrepresented within the business and leadership space, um, so that we could really start to make a positive difference. The, The roundabout kind of interesting thread, as I said from the beginning, is all of a sudden now I'm starting to do community economic development, and I was like, oh my God, that was my degree in college. Like who knew that I would be using it and that all these different elements of what I did professionally have become super helpful now as we look at how we can really be engaging the neighborhoods surrounding downtown Mesa to create a super robust, inclusive environment that brings, you know, economic well-being to the people who live here in the neighborhoods.
2: Would love a quick, just very quick anecdote from *Escape from Cubicle Nation*. Like, what? Give me something from from that book. Oh P- my gosh! Pioneer the side hustle.
1: Yeah, actually, that <laughs> huh. I I have to say that that was a term that I pioneered many years ago, and it came from a conversation that I had with my best friend Desiree, and her daughter at the time was in in high school, and she said, "Mom, I'm taking like a nail technician class, you know, like to do fingernails," and her mom was like why aren't you doing that? Like you should be in college prep, you know, and everything, you know, classes for getting ready for college. And she said, no, no, mom, that's not my career. That's gonna be my side hustle. And so that, I was like, oh my God, that's so smart. That's what all my corporate clients are doing. And what I encourage them to do is to have a side hustle. And it's a term, you know, that people have been using for a long time. So that became something that was really popular. I had a whole uh, web series called Side Hustle and Flow. That was profiling people who had been in corporate and left to start a business. Um, but I know another thing that I used to say all the time is hating your job intensely is not a business plan. Right. Fair. Dreaming about hope, tropical. Hope, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dreaming of tropical vacations and money pouring into your bank account
0: hmm. does
1: not make it poor.
0: Just sitting there zoned out <laughs> on your computer screen thinking about anywhere or anything else is not going to actually make it happen. Exactly. <laughs> Got it. So you said it's been about two years since you've been here at the Main Street Learning That's Board. right.
1: July 1st is when we got the key. Oh, wow.
0: <clears throat> so we, we love asking what are the top three things that you've learned over the past three years, but let's scale that down to the last two years.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, there's <laughs> been so much. Wow. Okay. Huge one. Huge, huge, huge is listen first. And this is something I didn't even realize how important it was. But when we first got here and opened the door, we had made a choice, you know, as a family that we would be supporting this space. We weren't really like relying on it to have to make money. And by supporting it, meaning I would be doing my virtual coaching as I normally do. You know, I work with a lot of big companies that support the small business market, you know, progressive insurance or constant contact. So, you know, we would pay the bills here. And I really, for some reason, just was super resistant to immediately say what we were or what we did. Because I just wanted to find out who was here. What were they doing? What do they need? I've lived here in Mesa for 15 years, but we live in East Mesa in the suburbs. And it's a totally different world Mm -hmm. than what's happening downtown. So we just spent time getting to know people. Like literally having people walk through the door And say, hey, you know, tell me about yourself. What are you doing? What are your thoughts? And when people would say, so, you know, what is this place? Is this a co-working space? And I said, no. Is it a, like, event rental? No. And I just kept saying no, because in my Northern California way of looking at the world, I was like, it will appear to me and tell me what it wants to be. (laughs) And it really almost felt like that, you know, that sounds like northern california you know hippy dippy but i'm telling you man it was powerful because what we did by listening first was build loving relationships get to know people not have to be in that mode of hey how are you buy my stuff
2: i'm gonna sell you Right. right
1: and more like tell me about yourself and what do you need and it actually came to me i was um I, I had gone to help like judge a business plan contest at Wilkes University um, right here downtown and there were two students who wanted to interview me about the business. So they came in and we were I was writing on the whiteboard and I was trying to explain to them and I'd always, again for everybody, like I'm not sure what it is yet. And for some reason that day, it just kind of all came out and I got the entire model. And that was the model for the Main Street Learning Lab. And I realized that Really my passion is in exploring solutions. It's not in coming in and saying, here's the answer, because engaging with people who are living the experience of trying to start a business, people have sovereignty, people have ideas, it goes back to that community in Colombia that I worked with. It's not that folks didn't know what, what they wanted to do. Of course there are things we can always learn from each other, right, for specific skills, But very often people know exactly what it is that they need to do. They need connections. They need community. They need resources. And so that became kind of the root for for what it is that we did here. So that, the listen first, um, I know you said three things, so I'm like, ugh, I just feel like that's the meta lesson that I've learned is it is so valuable because now that we know that and now that we have relationships, we're doing much bigger Projects, you know, kind of writing grants, looking at doing things, and now it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not just making this up. <laughs> like these are real connections that we have. We have real people who we've, um, who we can start to do this work with. So I think that's one of the biggest things. If I can, if I can ask,
0: that's you have this um, background working with huge companies, yeah. right? With uh, with Barclays, which was Wells Fargo. Yep. Uh, and like designing their entire development program for yeah. all of which is, that's huge, right? Yes. So how was that different? Um, obviously, you were listening, but you were more just projecting out to all of them.
1: You know, it's actually the 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 root of probably everything that I've ever done developmentally. It's all been around, you know, community development and actually training and development. I think what drew me to that field is it's very much, it shares a lot of, um, frameworks and perspectives from organization organizational development and also community development so we all have points of view in our work right Mm -hmm. that are driven by our values that are driven by approaches that we take yeah so i've always had the view that people are wise that the very best kind of development is going to be by the people for the people um, I remember I, I still have this piece of paper I had in college. I was probably 18 years old that was a Lao Tzu quote that was, you know, the people, the best leaders when the work is done, the people say we have done it ourselves. Mm. And that always has been what I'm drawn to is connecting with people, listening. I, I used to go on the trading floor at Barclays after, you know, the, the day was closed for them and just be like tell me about your day. Like, what were you doing? What's interesting for you? And so that when I was designing training programs for the traders, like I don't live that life. I'm not up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning with a massive stress of trading. Hmm. If I want to be designing training for them, I want to do it in the context of who they are. So, you know, a lot of things I, (laughs) I used to, when I was, would be facilitating like executive groups, Simultaneously, I was doing a lot of work um, in Capoeira, the, the Afro-Brazilian martial arts. So we were teaching. We had a youth program, about 250 youth. And we did a lot of work um, with some young folks who had been in gangs and, you know, really difficult life situations in from the neighborhoods. And um, one day, I was sitting around a table, and it was a new group of executives. And there were and I think it was the only female in the room, and they were a lot older than me. And for some strange reason, I actually said aloud, like oh, wow, this body language you're throwing me. Like, I get that on the street from a lot of the gang members when I'm going and recruiting youth. And, like, I can tell that you're trying to intimidate me, you know, because, like, <laughs> your like, arms are crossed, <laughs> and you know. And then I had that moment of panic of, like, oh, my God, like, should I have said that? And then, oh, of course, oh. they, like, all broke out they laughing. They opened up. yeah. yeah. And it, but it was the truth, you know, because I was, like, I'm getting tons. Of, and and it, the context was I was talking about communication, right? So there, there was a little link there. But... You know, I've always kind of seen these threads. As I look at the work that I did with youth, it's the same perspective, right? They are wise, amazing, resourceful, amazing, amazing kids that had been in situations where they were prescribed, right, a certain um, future (laughs) by many messed up adults, right, who said, because you live in this neighborhood, because you made these choices, this is the way that you are. Mm -hmm. And I've just never really believe that. So it's there's many layers like all of us find to our work, I think, about how we take and apply different models. I think one thing that's been super helpful to me throughout the years of studying something like economic development is that it's all about systems thinking. It's looking at interrelated systems. And so that really helps in organizations. But when it comes to actually understanding transformational work, which is what all this is about, it's about uh, engaging people.
0: Got it.
1: And okay. and helping them to really describe, you know, what they're what they want for their future.
0: Yeah, that's great. You've referenced it a couple of times. Capoe- capoeira capoeira Capoeira. Mm-hmm. And what kind of martial art is that?
1: It is it's a Afro-Brazilian martial art and it was started um, in Brazil by African slaves. And it was they all they call it um, the art of survival. And so by design because they were not allowed to be practicing any kind of martial art. It combined dance and music and acrobatics hmm. and everything is tied to, um, rhythm of the music. So they could be practicing more of the martial art component of it. And there's a certain kind of rhythm that you have for, they call, they call it a game, not a fight. And so they would be, you'd have a certain rhythm where people would be playing tough and then when they saw somebody coming, then they could change the rhythm and it would totally change the nature of the game. Mm. So um, it, they also call it, which means the art of fighting while smiling. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> and so there, there's a lot of, it's one of the things I love so much in um, in working with youth because many of them really related to the history and oppression and you know brutality and all these things that um, was a, was a, a core part of the history of the art. So yeah, it was it was amazing. I spent 11 years as a volunteer executive director, and um, the artistic director from from Brazil taught at San Francisco State. So we took groups of students down to Brazil a whole number of times, and cool. it was wow. very gratifying. And the most gratifying is like today on Facebook. I'm, I see a lot of the youth we worked with that now have their own schools. <laughs> that's so cool. Which just makes me super happy because yeah, no that's what it's about.
2: Pim, you talked about um, the listening first to get to the place where you are today with the space, but if you could, now that that's all um, kind of caramelized, what is the mission, vision, and impact of where we are right now?
1: So the, the vision that we have right now for the Main Street Learning Lab is really to be a place of connection and exploration for um, entrepreneurs, and in particular, we're really focused on entrepreneurs of color, LGBTQ, um, female founders, right? folks who might be maybe not as accepted or supported by, um, by mainstream resources, and really to be a place where we can be exploring solutions collectively to small business problems. Um, the way that that looks structurally is, is that we focus on five business problems a year. Hmm. Um, we did a big research study in partnership with the Cloud Software Association in last fall uh, called Crack the Challenge Code that looked at attitudes that small business owners have toward obstacles, and we gathered all kinds of data about problems and challenges people have. Certainly, I had a few points of view working with people for so many years, but... Um, from that research, we came up with five core problems. so the one we're starting with this month and next month are getting more customers because that's usually the top one for entrepreneurs uh, managing cash flow and funding growth, uh, streamlining operations, um, managing workload <clears throat> and then scaling for growth mm. and so two months at a time we kind of do a deep dive into exploring right those those problems and on one hand, there are you know engagements. There are experiments that individual business owners can do. So, we might, for example, one of the experiments that we're going to be launching in July is there's a book called The Five Second Rule from a woman named Mel Robbins, and
0: love Mel Robbins.
1: Okay, yeah, she's a fireball, mm-hmm. and you know basically it's like you can be stuck procrastinating where you don't want to call that prospect and you just count backwards five four three two one pick up the phone and uh-huh. do it and As an experiment, we'll have probably 50 people um, who will be practicing that throughout the month. And we're not, you know, the whole focus of the experimentation is to really just get some feedback. Like, does this make a difference? Our overall goal is to have people become more comfortable and more skilled at overcoming obstacles. Because that's the meta challenge when you're an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what stage you're at, how much mm-hmm. money you have. It, it's always about overcoming obstacles. There's always going to be new obstacles. And so as people get more comfortable kind of using these experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't work, we're gathering that data so we can understand, you know, oh, okay, great. Like, this is a tool that maybe we should really reinforce. And then with a lot of our partners here, so far in the last two years, we've partnered directly with about 27 different organizations here. Um, in Mesa, and some like Cahoots, right, that are in, in, in Phoenix. And, um, and then, you know, we're looking to do even more, where really, the way that I see this connection point, is that we can be looking collectively and saying, what's the best way that we can organize ourselves so that we can be supporting mm-hmm. folks? How can we come together? And And by coming together, it's not just here, right? Like, it's more that we I'm going to go back to sounding Northern Californian, I can hold the space (laughs) for us to begin to talk about as organizations, not just you know, me, 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 this is what my organization does, but more like, here's what we want to collectively do. We really are committed to supporting, you know, these small business owners. So how can we have safe relationships where we can share with each other? Mm. Oh my God, there's this thing, this five, four, three, two, one thing. Like you should try it in your program or profit first. I was just telling, you know, describing on, on this new jag with this book called profit first, which is all about a different way to look at managing money in your business um, it's not like it's not profit first, and that like people don't matter. It's more actually right. the buckets that you good. have. Yeah, it's actually kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> it's where you organize <clears throat> the way that you manage your money, so that you know. And this is what we'll be exploring in the um, in the the problem that we address around cash flow. Right, that money will come in the door instead of first what we all do is pay all the bills, and then whatever's left is profit. You actually have based on analyzing your business, a predetermined amount that you put in the bucket of profit. Then you have a bucket you put for expenses. Then oh. you have a bucket for salary. So what his argument is, is that then you actually have a realistic idea of the money you have to work with. It's it's the idea of kind of a smaller plate, right? If we have a smaller plate, we eat less. <laughs> and often what happens with entrepreneurs is you get a huge check from somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm rich. Now I can buy all the stuff I've been holding off on. But really, if you haven't analyzed it appropriately, you probably don't have that money to spend. Right. So, you know, it's just little things that make me more happy than it should of like finding these little tweaky ways that we can be exploring solutions. The, what happens when we are engaged collectively in the pursuit collectively and by that i mean not just the people who are providing services to business owners but the business owners themselves who are really talking with each other and, and you know sharing what works and sharing stories is that's where we build Keh. that's where we have that community connection and that's where you know it becomes very tangible what it is that we can do here locally i had i'm, I'm looking at people can't see because we're not on video but I'm right here on Main Street, and a friend of mine was out in front of um, the Nile Coffee Shop, and he was sitting on a bench. This was a, a couple months ago, and I walked by. I'm like, "Hey, you know how you doing, Peter?" And looked a little bit, you know, dejected. And I'm like, "What's going on?" And he said, "Well, I had actually almost signed a lease for a space. We had signed the lease, but we were just waiting for the counter signature for a space here downtown. And um, at the very last minute." they decided to pull it and that they didn't want to rent it. And they'd already gotten out of their other office space. And he was like, I don't know what to do as a virtual reality company. And so, you know, I said, well, like, let's go over and talk to Michelle. My friend Michelle is a couple doors down at Pomeroy's. They have office space up above. I had been in conversation with her. I knew they had space. So we just walked across the street, walked up there. And it ended up that Peter sure ended enough. up moving in to Pomeroy's, right? And that kind of thing to me is it is there's not really like a program, you know, or a strategy that you can do around it. It's based on having these places where we were able to meet. It's based on having a philosophy of taking time to slow down and stop to get to know, you know, what's going on with Michelle. I I, I actually coach her daughter and her co-founder. They have a tech startup company here. Um, called SLP toolkit, which is amazing. It's a a tool for, um, for uh, special education teachers and speech therapists. But you know, that's, that's what happens when that's kind of the, the water that's flowing right through a community and this current and this connection, when you're more focused on the overall economic well being of a region. And that's why again, it kind of keeps coming back to these personal relationships and the connections you know strategically we have to think of what are ways we can be supporting that you know with programs with tools with resources but kind of like why it doesn't work when you drop a big bucket of money you know in the middle of bogota colombia that doesn't work when you have an outside organization that just drops cash right it it has to really come in this partnership of people defining what they want and then helping to get the resources to make it happen.
0: I love it. Uh, I wrote down some notes, obviously the, the idea of the show is awareness to action. So sort of kind of what we're talking about, Yeah. here's what we're trying to accomplish and then actually being able to take the steps and start to make the connections and then give people the tools to be able to actually execute and, yeah. and move past the adversities. That's one thing I love about Mel Robbins so much. She's got that great Ted talks Says, stop, effing yourself, right? Yes. It's like you're screwing yourself up every single day. Stop yeah. thinking about it. And she talks about activation energy. It's like when you get the feeling to do it, you need to really strike and, and act on that. So it doesn't surprise me that she has a five second role because that sounds very Mel Robbins like. So. so cool. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So how can people learn more or how, how can people get involved with, with with your group?
1: Yeah, well you know I think so as a meta thing, knowing that there might be people who are here local and then people who are not local, right? I, I know for me, I, I've learned over the years that um, I love to be aware of what's happening. It's part of my responsibility as a citizen to vote, to be aware, to listen to the stories um, because it's a it's a historic time for very unfortunate reasons, right? There's a lot of things that are happening today that are really, really disturbing, Um, And that I know can feel overwhelming at the same time I feel like it's important for us to keep our ears and eyes open, um, especially as white folk, to really be listening to the stories of what it is that people are saying. Um, At the same time, what I know about myself is if I stay in that space too long, I curl up in a (laughs) ball of despair. So one of the things that is very concrete, um, and because my space is in entrepreneurship and small business... Is where you are um, have your own business and you're like working by yourself and you don't know what it is that you can do in your community, is do a little listen first experiment. And what's fun about it, you know, depending where you live, if you live like in a you know a little bit of a bigger urban urban place. Chances are that just by taking time to kind of walk around the neighborhood and like wander in a couple of places and just say, tell me about, you know, like, what do you do? And, you know, tell me more about your business is you can begin to connect with other people and learn about what it is that they're doing. You also might become aware of organizations within your community. If you are passionate about doing things to, you know, close the digital divide or get involved in in projects is you can first just learn like who is there, you know, who is, who are doing things and then figure out what is it that you need. And the reason why, you know, I'm passionate about listen first is sometimes our first reaction is, you know, I'm going to volunteer to be a mentor and I'm going to go to, you know, that community, whatever we deem that is and, and, you know, help somebody else. And it goes back, I find to my experience of, you know, in, in so many years of doing this work that, we don't know what somebody really needs. Imagine somebody walks through your front door and without even knowing anything about you or your life or what you do says, okay, this
2: is what, this we're, is, doing. This
1: is what we're doing and this is what you need to do. You would probably be offended would, and you would be... It wouldn't go over very well. It, would now, not go over, it wouldn't go over very well. And when you look at it from that perspective, it seems so obvious. It is the same thing. We must first... Build relationships, ask permission to to be engaged, find out about what's going on with somebody. And that part, I think that's the beautiful part of action that we just want to skip over because we become so obsessed with wanting to have some concrete, like, I did this, or you know, I helped 20 people, as opposed to I spent a month really, really getting to know some of the folks who were in my community. And I just sat and I listened and I had some amazing conversations. Amazing. That is also action. And then it can lead to, you don't have to take two years like I did, but you know it can lead to very concrete other kinds of ways you can get involved.
0: I love it. Well, if you could make one plea knowing that the entire world would hear it, mm-hmm. what would that plea be?
1: I think the plea would be When you are doing your work and when you are thinking about, um, in particular, economic growth, examine, there, there are two things. One is take a look around and ask yourself, who is here, who is not here, and why aren't they here? as a way to really develop some awareness. um, If you're trying to make change, if you're really wanting to see what's going on in your community, take some time to really pay attention to kind of who is around the table in positions of leadership or influence. And then take some time to really define when you talk about community, who is we? (laughs) And consider including the perspectives the experience the expertise of people who live in your community and it's something that i find over and over we've been having conversations here with a lot of the folks who provide services in the community not one person could say like this is actually when we talk about downtown mesa what downtown mesa Mm -hmm. is is it main street is it a you know different view what neighborhoods does it include what neighborhoods does it not include and then when you think about how it is then that we you know design and provide services the default is going to be people who I'm comfortable with people who I know people who are connected and we can literally miss entire for generations which we do Generations of people who live and work and love and are members of the community, right, right where we are. So I think it's just more, you know, really having the awareness and and checking our assumptions uh, before sprinting into action. Because I think we're really addicted to solving a problem before we even really know what problem we're solving. Love it, sweet. I didn't say when I was answering the general question if folks want to. Get more connected with what we're doing here. If you're local, I'd love it. Right now, the best way is to either go to pamelaslim.com, which is my website, and you can jump on the mailing list there. Very shortly, we're going to have a mailing list just for the Main Street Learning Lab, so we have like specific um, information about experiments and so forth. On Facebook, um, we are K-E-In Mesa, so K E I N Mesa. That's our, our Facebook page, and that's where you can also find out about events and so forth.
2: Excellent. Mm-hmm. What else, Centauri? answered all my questions, thanks. It's always fun hanging out with you, so thanks for being part of this.
1: Thanks for asking me.
2: Yeah, we, we appreciate it, Pam. Uh, Pamela, do you go by Pam?
1: Either one, depends if I'm in trouble or not.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> but, so Pam, appreciate you coming on. Do check out uh, PamelaSlim.com. Find them on Facebook at K-E-I-N-M-E-S-A, which we'll find in the notes of the show. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.